We are in uh, part 12 of our series on the book of Romans. Hey, it's working now. Okay, great. Uh, on the book of Romans in the Bible's New Testament. All right, we took a break from it to do Easter. And you can, you can get a hold of all of our Easter content online, Facebook page, YouTube channel, our website homepage. Uh, audio is on Spotify and Podbean and kind of all over the place. Uh, and I got a lot of comments on the, uh, the Easter series, especially that super long message was like an hour plus on Good Friday. Got a lot of comments. People never heard of that stuff before. Never heard of the Talmud before. Never heard that the trial of Jesus was a big sham, all these people breaking their own rules and all of that. So you can get all of that uh, online if you want to look at it again. So back to the book of Romans. If you remember, we were in Romans chapter 12. And Romans chapter 12, we call This is the Way to play on uh, the Mandalorian uh, series on Disney. Uh, you know, they have their little ways of doing things, these Mandalorians, right? And they say, this is the way, this is the way. And you have all of these little, little imperatives in Romans chapter 12, and we worked our way through those uh, just the week before uh, Palm Sunday, trying to answer the question, what is the way of Jesus? How are you supposed to live as a Christian in a practical sense? Because Paul lays down all this theology, you know, Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. It's a lot of theology, a lot of heavy lifting uh, to lay this foundation. Then he starts being very, very practical, and Romans chapter 12 is really practical. And it, you get to the end of the chapter, and he starts saying things like this, do not repay evil for evil. Uh, be careful to do what is right. Romans chapter 12, verse 17, as far as is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Do not take revenge. Uh, we joked about John Wick and how John Wick is a story, very successful story, really, about revenge, kind of a sort of a form of justice uh, that we see in that whole film series. But Paul says here, do not take revenge, leave room for whose wrath? God's wrath. Is your, is your enemy hungry? Feed him, give him something to drink. In this way, you will heap burning coals on his head. If you remember, we talked about what that might have meant back in the time. And then he, he closes the, the chapter, at least in the way we have the Bible written, he closes the chapter by saying, do not overcome, uh, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And most Bibles will have a break there, and you go into Romans chapter 13. As I've said to you before, Ignore those breaks. When you have those breaks and those headers in your Bible, ignore them. The author did not put them there. We put them there to make it easier to read by convention. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes, sometimes it breaks your train of thought. And I don't believe that the author wanted your train of thought broken here. So I start with verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. See how it reads different that way? Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. What? The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, I know as soon as you read that in our 21st century Western 
Quebec, Canada culture, you know, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Right away, you can feel the hair on the back of your neck start to stand up, some of you. Right away, you start feeling a sense of resistance. There is no authority except that which God has established. Excuse me? You know, we, we, we push back on this in our modern culture to, to a degree. The authorities that exist have been established by God, you know, and we get this pushback in our, in our own heart. And he, he continues, you know, he says, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. I wish he would stop, but he continues. For rulers hold no terror over those who do right, but over those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the one who's uh, free from fear, from the one who's in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath. Remember, he says, leave room for God's wrath in Romans 12. And here he says, these servants, he calls them, are agents of God's wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. It's even worse now. This is also why you pay taxes. You got 20 days, 14 days to pay your taxes, folks. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, the big ten. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other command that there may be are all summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Sounds like Jesus. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And he finishes his thoughts to a degree here. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed 2,000 years ago. It's 2,000 years nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, old words there, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. I want to talk to you about submission to authorities today. Do we really need to? Like, really? Is he, is he crazy? What is he doing writing this? Well, I want to give you a little crash course as to his time and his audience. The Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church in Rome in the first century. 
first century Rome. He's not writing to Quebec. He's not writing to Premier Legault or Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. He's not writing to them. He's writing to an audience in first century Rome. Well, first century Rome, you had quite a setup. You had quite a setup of government and politics and authority. The most important thing for our purposes today is that in first century Rome, you had a growing sentiment, a growing uh, way of doing things, a growing command to worship the emperor as Lord and God. It's the cult of emperor worship back in the first century, and it grew stronger and stronger and stronger as we march through the New Testament, from the Gospels into the book of Acts, and finally into the book of Revelation, you have a growing sentiment that got more and more intense and more and more dangerous for Christians. The, the people were ordered to worship the emperor as Lord and God. You have several of them mentioned in the pages of the New Testament, a couple of them that are not actually. This is, uh, um, the first one is Augustus Caesar, and he was the one who Jesus was born under, right? If you remember that from Luke chapter 2, I won't read the references, but that's one of them that's mentioned. Uh, after uh, Augustus died, uh, you had uh, Tiberius, and Tiberius was the one who... Uh, uh, was in power when Jesus was crucified. Pontius Pilate worked for Tiberius. So Tiberius is another one of them. Uh, and then you move on to Emperor Claudius. And Claudius we see mentioned in the book of Acts a couple of times. You see uh, the references on your screen there. And these emperors, one after the other after the other, some of them demanded this emperor worship, some of them didn't, but the deeper that you got toward Domitian, who is the emperor when the book of Revelation is written, the more and more serious this got. Uh, a bad one was Nero, and uh, this is the person who's in power when Paul is writing the book of Romans, probably A.D. 57. And most scholars think is when Paul wrote the book of Romans. This is when Nero assumed the throne. I think he was only 16 when he assumed the throne, if I remember correctly. And Nero, not long after Paul wrote the letter to the Romans in AD 64, uh, Nero would set fire to the city of Rome. And guess who he would blame for the fire? Christians. He blamed them. They were an easy target. Uh, he was he was became growing a uh, growing danger to Christians, and you see Nero. Interestingly enough, Paul makes an appeal to Emperor Nero in the Book of Acts when Paul faces persecution from his own countrymen. He himself was a persecutor of the church, a persecutor of Jesus. Then when he becomes a Jesus follower, he is persecuted the same way that he persecuted other people, from his own people, from his own, from Israel, from the Jewish people, he was persecuted. They wanted to stop him the same way he wanted to stop others. And he is persecuted, and he's a Roman citizen, we see in the book of Acts, and he actually tries to appeal 
to Rome, to Nero of all people. This is before 64, uh, because he wants to, to use his Roman citizenship and the fact that the, at that time, the Romans were still friendly toward Christianity and tolerated Christianity. And Paul tries an appeal there that you can read about in the book of Acts. After uh, Nero, you have Vespasian. Vespasian is not mentioned in the pages of the New Testament. Hey, it came back. How come it came back? It must be the Pope's exorcist thing, I'm telling you. The, the screen was blank and it came back here, you know? So well, I'll take it. So uh, you have Vespasian. Vespasian, a very uh, uh, famous in the sense that he is the emperor who ordered the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in AD 70. He is not mentioned in the pages of the New Testament, but through his son Titus, put an end to the revolt. The Jews revolted against the Romans and they were crushed ultimately in the year 70, slaughtered, and uh, the temple was destroyed and never since rebuilt, still not rebuilt. 2,000 years later, it's still not built. All you have is the retaining wall, the so-called wailing wall that people go and pray at. Uh, so Vespasian, and then after Vespasian, you have uh, Emperor Domitian. Now, Domitian is the one who is the emperor during the book of Revelation. It's very clear that he's the one who is in power, and he took emperor worship very, very seriously. Uh, Domitian, they say, was a sadist, a megalomaniac. He insisted on being called Lord and God. He insisted on his father, uh, Vespasian, and his brother Titus also being called Lord and God. He was a brutal, brutal, sadistic emperor. You can read about in the history books, he held a party for a bunch of dignitaries, and when they got to, their, they got to the party, their tombstones were laid out. Imagine some party, and he told them they wouldn't leave the party alive. They did leave the party alive, but they wondered what was going to happen next. He was a sadistic uh, ruler, and he would eliminate people who would not worship him as Lord and God. So Christians were therefore atheists in his view, because Christians would not worship Domitian or any emperor as Lord and God. They only worshiped who? Jesus as Lord and God. And so here you had a problem. Now, the Romans didn't, they didn't care if people worshipped Jesus, but they did care if people worshipped Jesus alone as Lord and God. If you want to call Jesus Lord and God, go ahead. But if you don't call Caesar, you don't call Domitian Lord and God, your life is over. So you were a criminal if you were a Christian, read the book of Revelation and you will see in its immediate context, I'm not talking about its future context, but in its immediate context, you have Christians being slaughtered because they refuse to worship the emperor as Lord and God. And this is why the book of Revelation is trying to breathe hope and encouragement into these people's lives because their lives were on the line for worshiping Jesus and Jesus alone as Lord and God, and refusing to worship the emperor as Lord and God. I'm not talking here about 
who was under the emperors, you had these procurators and proconsuls like Pontius Pilate, and then you had the whole Herod dynasty with Herod the Great and these sort of client kings that Rome set up. You had quite a structure there, folks. And, and Israel uh, is under the domination of Rome at this time. They're not free. Uh, they're under the domination of Rome. This is why at Palm Sunday, as we learn, they're waving those palm branches, and probably the zealots are in that crowd. They're waving those palm branches, a symbol of strength, symbol of power. Hosanna, save us. Hosanna, save us. Save us from what? Not, they're not thinking save us from our sins. They're thinking save us from these Romans. You are the Messiah. You are the king. You are the you are the man who's going to deliver us. Save us, save us, save us. Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. And there's Jesus crying on Palm Sunday. He's got a crowd who wants him to be a military political king. He's got the religious leaders who don't believe he's the Messiah, who, who don't believe that he's, he is God in the flesh. And no wonder he's crying. Everybody's missing the boat on who he is. No wonder. So this is the, this is the political, if you will, the, the authorities that Paul is talking about. That's the context. I know we like to complain about our 21st century government and authority and all of this, but folks, I'm telling you, you'd probably rather live now, here, than there, then. When you're put into a position where your very worship of Jesus will get you imprisoned or worse. Or you have it like what you have right now, where you can come into a movie theater and sing about Jesus being Lord and God in a public venue. Folks, the managers of this movie theater like what we do. Did you know that? You know they're asking questions and they, they like us. It's good, yeah, it's good, but it's, we get to do that freely. We get to do it freely. Not so <laughs> back in the first century, especially under Domitian. So understand, between the book of Acts and the book of Revelation, you have this idea of the deification of emperors. It becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. It becomes a danger to Christians. And here's Paul writing in Nero's time, just years before Nero would blame the Christians for the fire that he deliberately set in Rome. He would have them uh, uh, burnt alive. He would throw them into coliseums with wild animals. Domitian would end up doing the same thing. It became a crime to become a Christian. In the early years before Nero did this, just, year, just a few years before, here's Paul writing and saying, what? Are you trying to say that Nero is there as God's servant? Is he mistaken? What is he... What is he thinking? Like, in some ways, we look at this passage, this chapter, Romans 13. We don't want to read it. Get it out of the Bible. <laughs> it's too, no way, no way, and no way am I going to believe that, you know, this, this premier or this mayor of my town here in 21st century Quebec or this leader or even this cop or this, um, this lawyer or whatever, no way am I going to believe that they are from God. Like, no way, excuse me. All right, so here's Jesus back to the Easter story in a conversation with an authority, Pontius Pilate. 
Pontius Pilate sent to Judea, Judea, volatile province. You've got a procurator there. He's on thin ice with Tiberius, as we learned over, over Good Friday. There's been some incidents in his reign where Herod Antipas didn't like what he did. He upset the Jewish people. He told uh, uh, Tiberius about it. We do have record, as I said, of a nasty letter that Tiberius wrote to Pontius Pilate in Latin. It's got some vulgarities in it, apparently, where he says, you better watch it because you're on thin ice. One more, one more problem from you, and you will have outlived your usefulness in Judea. And here he is dealing with Jesus, Passover, Good Friday as we call it. He's got a potential riot on his hands, and he's got to handle this very, very delicately in a private conversation with Jesus. Look what Jesus says to Pilate. Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know I have power? either to free you or to crucify you. Watch what Jesus says. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Huh. So Jesus seems to think like Paul. He thinks, well, Pilate's in power for one reason. God put him there. God put him there? He's, God has some hand in this, in this, I mean, Pontius Pilate, like this guy has a track record that's really violent, um, God put him there? According to Jesus, he's there for a reason. Your power has been given to you from above. What can we learn from this passage, this disturbing passage, Romans chapter 13, about submission to authority? A few observations for you. Number one, submission to authority as opposed to, in contrast to, retaliation against authority. So remember, just a few years after Paul writes this, the Jews in 66 would revolt against the Romans. Jesus is weeping on Palm Sunday, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you only you knew the time of God's visitation. But now, essentially, you're going to be destroyed because you did not recognize it. What happens? They revolt. They retaliate in a violent way. In a, in, a, in a physical way, they revolt against Rome, and Rome crushes them. So in contrast to retaliation, submission to authority, if you're reading this passage in context, Romans 13, this is another way to overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do you do that? Submit to authorities. It's the very, very next verse. So don't retaliate against them. Don't take vengeance against them. Maybe you'd be justified in doing that. Maybe you'd be justified in your retaliation. Don't do it. Instead, submit to them because this is another way that you can overcome evil with good. You say, wait a second, wait a second, you know, the, these authorities, come on, this, this politician is corrupt. 
This one's corrupt. This one's a liar. This one's a cheater. Look at these laws. You know, what about when they make Christians do this and they make Christians do this over here in the 21st century? You know, we don't like this and this impingement on our religious freedom and so on and so on. Hold on, folks. You know, uh, uh, well, the COVID, you know, did make me take a vaccine. I'm all upset, you know, and the trucker protest and all this stuff and authority. I hate this authority and look at this tyranny and look at this. It's like Big Brother watching you. I hate authority. Folks, he's not talking about that. You can take your trucker protest and try and shove it into this passage. That's not what he's talking about. You can take your COVID mandate. Oh, well, you know, they force us to take these silly vaccines. You can have that position, folks, and try and push that into this text. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is your behavior. Believer's behavior. Your basic behavior. Are you doing right or are you doing wrong? That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about this nitty-gritty stuff that you want to try and say, but the government is corrupt, the government is corrupt. Folks, it's Nero. It's first century Rome. Of course the government is corrupt. Paul knows the government is corrupt. What he's saying to the people is, look, just because you're a Christian and you live under a different kingdom now, you live under God's kingdom, Jesus is the king of your kingdom. Just because you live on that kingdom doesn't mean you get to do what you want. You still have to submit to authority. And let me tell you why. Because God put that authority there. So watch your behavior. You are still obligated to do what is right. If you do what is right, you're not going to have problems. If you do what is wrong, you're going to have problems. You're going to have big problems. Because those people who are in authority don't have that sword or in today's today's world, they don't have that firearm on their side for nothing. Say, well, the government today is so corrupt, the police force is so corrupt. Okay, go out and break the law. Go out and steal something, folks. Go out and and commit an obvious wrongdoing. Go out and do it and see what happens. See how corrupt the justice system is after you get arrested and charged and thrown in prison. Folks, that's the way it generally works. God still has a hand in that. And what he's saying is, you don't, you have no reason just because you're a Christian, you still are obligated to follow the law. You still have to watch your behavior. And even if the system is corrompu, even if it's corrupted, even if it's fallen, that's not the issue. The issue is you must continue to do right. Because if you do what's wrong, you're going to get caught. And you're going to get caught and you're going to face the consequences of your action. And that's God doing that to you in a, in a, 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 a third-hand fashion. He is using that person, that system as an agent of wrath. You look at the situation in Haiti, in, in Port-au-Prince, out of control, revolt, There's a revolt against the government. There's a revolt against the police. There's a police revolt against the government's lack of protection of the police. Nothing but revolt, 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 and chaos. People being kidnapped if they walk out in the streets. People being killed if they walk out in the streets. It's deadly dangerous there. Why? Because of revolt against government. Folks, look at the even our neighbors to the south, and you look at these mass shootings. I am stunned. I'm sure you're stunned at them as well. I don't know what it is that's in the water 
of the United States that these things happen almost, it seems, every week, uh, sometimes every day of the week. You hear about another shooting and another shooting. Folks, look at the police officers in some of these recent shootings who run into those situations, would put their lives on the line, and within minutes stop a slaughter of more people. It's, this is exactly what the passage is talking about. He does not bear the sword for nothing. I remember in 2006, uh, the, the shooting that took place at Dawson uh, College, uh, uh, Don Mann was there. He was very, very close to, to that incident, was in the Alexis Neon Plaza. I remember him and Marie-José were right there. There was chaos, folks, absolute chaos, pandemonium, yeah, students running in the streets. I worked 500 meters from there is where the, the lighthouse was. Patrice, you were there as well. Uh, I, we, we remember that day, folks. You know how quickly those police got in there and took that shooter down? It was like five minutes, folks. That, that This is the system God uses, imperfect as it is. It's about your behavior and my behavior. And this is what's being What's being uh, talked about here, do what is right, he's saying. Do what is right and you will be commended. You have nothing to fear, but you do what is wrong. He does not bear the sword for nothing. That's what Paul is trying to refer to. So don't get all bent out of shape and think about, you know, trucker protests and COVID shots. That's not what's being talked about here. Uh, number two, submission to authority does not mean because I know some of you are thinking, oh, you're trying to say that the Bible teaches that we just have to do whatever they say. You know, we're just the sheep who have to do whatever they say. Yes, master government, we will do whatever you say. Yes, we do whatever you You just want to follow all of the sheep, and that's what you want to do. I know some of you are thinking that that's not what the passage is saying. It's not saying that you have to obey the authority all the time. If you read the Bible, you will discover times where people did not follow what the authority said. Did not. Here's a few examples for you uh, on the screen. You can write them down if you like. Exodus chapter 1. Folks, it was the government who said, slaughter all of these Hebrew infants. Throw them into the Nile. And what did they do? They said, no, we're not going to. And that's how they saved the life of baby Moses. They said, no, we're not going to. This is the murder, the destruction of human life. You're trying to kill a child. We are not going to do that. We are not going to slaughter them. We are not going to. We are going to disobey the edict of Pharaoh, too bad, so sad. Okay, have you been asked to do this, folks? In Daniel chapter 3, just like in Domitian, the book of Revelation, Nebuchadnezzar said, when the trumpet blows, everybody bows down and worships me. Everybody. What do the Hebrew boys do? They're not bowing down or worshiping Nebuchadnezzar as God. They worship Yahweh only. They don't worship Nebuchadnezzar as God. Gets them in a lot of trouble. But they refused to obey. Did they retaliate? Did they try to assassinate Nero, or sorry, Nebuchadnezzar? Did they try and stage some kind of revolt and you know, start a riot? No, but they said, I'm not obeying your law. I'm not bowing down before you, Nebuchadnezzar. I bow down before one, and I'll face the consequences of whatever comes, but I will not do it. 
Daniel chapter 6, you see the same thing. They all conspire against Daniel, remember? And they say, look, the guy's got so much integrity, but ah, if we get an edict signed, you know, it was, I think, Xerxes at the time, and, you know, you've got to worship, you can't worship any other god but him, and so on, and we know this guy Daniel doesn't do that, we know he prays to his god, he faces the, the window toward Jerusalem, he prays to his god, if we can get an edict signed by the king, and then we catch him in the act, we've got him, and of course, Daniel does his thing, he, he, he doesn't care, and what, he gets thrown into the lion's den, oh well, I get thrown into the lion's den, so what? But I'm not going to do what you say because I only worship one God. Anybody told you that it's a crime for you to stop worshiping Jesus? We complain about our religious liberties here to a degree, but wow, folks, back then, a lot worse. Stop sharing the gospel, Acts chapter 4 and, and, and uh, chapter 5. You have uh, Peter and John. I think it's Peter and John. They do a public miracle. They're, they're, in, they're in the court, the same court that Jesus faced, the same characters that Jesus faced. They say, by what power or authority are you doing this? It's by the, by the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who, who you killed and who's raised from the dead. That's how we're doing it. Say, you're going to stop. You're not going to teach in his name. We don't believe in resurrection. We're Sadducees. This is the Sanhedrin you're talking about. We don't believe in this nonsense. You are not going to preach in this name. You are going to close your mouths. And they say, no, we won't. We will obey God rather than men. We'll face the consequences of our actions. You want to imprison us, fine. We'll face it, but we will not close our mouths. You see, these are examples in the scripture where people did not follow the, the letter of the law of, of the land. And they said, well, we're not going to. We're going to face the consequences of our actions if we have to. Even Jesus, folks, if you look closely at the Gospels and you see Herod Antipas in particular, who John the Baptist challenged, right, on his moral life, John the Baptist went after him, went after this politician and said, what you're doing is wrong. You, essentially, you have your brother's wife. What you're doing is wrong. It's morally wrong. And he went after him and he faced the consequences. He gets thrown in prison. What does Jesus say about him when he's thrown in prison? Does Jesus say, well, you know, he shouldn't have opposed him. He should have just, he should have just kept his mouth quiet. He should have turned the other way. He shouldn't have said anything about Antipas. So what if he lives an immoral life? So what if he does it in public? Who cares? Why is he? He shouldn't have done it. He should have just, he should have just obeyed, obeyed, obeyed. No, Jesus doesn't say that at all. Jesus doesn't rebuke John for his challenge of this politician. In fact, Jesus has some harsh words about Antipas. They're, people are telling Jesus, Herod wants to kill you. It's Herod Antipas. And you know what Jesus calls him? He says he's a fox. You go tell that fox, I will cast out demons and on the third day I'll be raised. You go tell him. Basically, he's saying to him in our terminology, you, you tell him he can take his pipe and smoke it. <laughs> That's basically what Jesus is saying. He's, he's challenging a politician. He's not going to go around with the, what the politician says there. So, folks, the passage is not saying you have to be the ever-obedient sheep to, to everything that the government says. No, it's not saying that. And the, the context of it, the broader context of it, which is what I think Paul wants us to understand, is the future. Folks, it is, it is very difficult to, to do what this passage is saying 
if you only live your life for this life, if you only live for, you know, my, I get my, my X amount of years and then my life is over. If you only think that way, folks, if you only live this life for this life here, you're not going to be able to follow this passage. You're going to have so many issues with what Paul is saying. You're going to find so much injustice. You're going to find so many problems. You're going to find so many excuses because you only view life from here to there and it ends. Folks, according to him, that's not where it ends. It's, you've got to look at a bigger picture here. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. What salvation? He's talking about the end of things. He's talking about the second coming. He's talking about when Jesus will return and, and correct planet earth, when he will bring in ultimate redemption, when he will fix everything. Our salvation is nearer now, so watch your behavior. It's what he's saying. The night is almost over. The day is almost here. So watch how you live. And he, he gets into everything, you know, carousing, drunkenness, sexual immorality, dissension, jealousy. I mean, he's all over the map here. He says, don't live that way because the end is coming and Jesus is going to come back. Your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed, and we live 2,000 years later. Imagine what Paul would say to us. He would say, wake up, wake up, wake up. Your salvation is much, much, much nearer than when we first believed 2,000 years ago. Watch how you live. Watch the way that you live because your life continues after this life. Your life here is a little spot on a radar. It's a mist that comes and goes, James says. It's very, very short, your life here. John would write, we think it's John, would write to the believers in the book of Revelation, and he'd talk about how they did not value their lives so much as to shrink from death. They had a much bigger picture about life in their minds as they had to live under this regime where worshiping anyone but the emperor as God could get them killed. And they said, we, our lives are worth more than our time on this earth. We live for a bigger picture. We see beyond the curtain. We see into the unseen realm. We believe that it's there. We believe that it exists. We believe that God is there. We believe that he's coming back. We believe that he's going to change everything. We believe in the eternal, not just the temporary. And the question that we have to wrestle with 2,000 years later is, do we? Are we just living for point A to point B, and that's it? And once I tie the bow at the end, it's all done. Oh, folks, it's not all done. It's just beginning when you tie the bow at the end of life. It's just beginning. Are you ready for it? Are you thinking that way? Are you watching the way that you live as a result? Let's pray together. If the musicians, you want to come up.
and just go ahead and start playing right away, and you can continue to play as we wind up the service today. I think there are people who are here, and you, you maybe you've never heard a message on submission to authority before in this fashion. Maybe you have big problems with authority, big problems. You've had run-ins with authority, and, the, and you look at this passage, it's a real struggle for you to, to accept it. Uh, and maybe there are others of you, and you haven't thought about eternity in a long time. You haven't thought about the fact that your life is going to end here one day. Are you ready for what's on the other side? Are you preparing yourself for what's on the other side? Is your salvation nearer than when you first believed? I want to pray for you this morning. You can stand with me if you, if you like, Father, for each one in this room. For each one who's, who's watching electronically, uh, Lord, uh, we live in such a strange time, in such a, a, uh, such a strange world. But maybe uh, the people back then had it even more difficult. Uh, Lord, maybe, maybe for them, all of that pressure, may, maybe it made it simpler for them. Uh, Lord, we want to be like them and be able to say that we don't value our lives beyond uh, just, just from here to there. We don't, that's not, we, we want to see beyond the grave. We want to value our lives to the point where we don't shrink from death itself. Uh, so Lord, help us, the people in this room who struggle with this passage and look at it so difficult to accept it. And maybe others of us, Lord, we just, we just haven't thought about what happens beyond the grave for a long, long time. Uh, Lord, may you just may you wake us up, as, he, as, as the writer says, wake us up and help us to, to live with you first in our lives and to, to behave in such a way that Jesus is reflected in what we say, in how we behave, in where we walk, in what our hands do in our choices, in our decisions. May Jesus be glorified in front and center. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you today. Enjoy the beautiful, wow, beautiful sunshine. Better than an ice storm, yes? Remember to pick up your kids uh, next door in screen number 11. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, everyone.